Welcome back to the Newt News Podcast. Daniel Guerrero is joining us for a special episode to talk all things prospects and the World Baseball Classic. Before we get started, we wanted to let you know that Newt News merch is now available. Link in the description. We've got shirts, hoodies, and caps available, and any purchases greatly help us to keep the show running. Let's get on with it. All right, so uh, welcome to welcome to the podcast, uh, Dan. Uh, really excited to have you on. We're going to start off with some quick hitters like we always do with our guests, get to know you a little bit better. Um, so we got four for you today. Um, your favorite all-time Cardinal player, your favorite current Cardinal player, your favorite all-time player that's not affiliated with the Cardinals, and your favorite team that's not the Cardinals. Okay, uh, I'll start with, I guess, favorite all-time player. Um, I'm going to have to think of, like, just – let the favorite all-time Cardinal marinate. Um, but uh, favorite all-time player is Vladimir Guerrero. I mean, I grew up uh, in Anaheim, going to Angels games. And when Vladdy got to Anaheim, like, that was insane. I mean, he was the first Hall of Famer on that. I mean, first player from the – like, first Angel Hall of Famer, right? I mean, he was an MVP for them. I mean, so he was cool to see his style of play. It was amazing. Um, I guess – so I guess that answers – I mean, growing up, I was a, a an Angels fan, but I guess favorite team – um, I guess I'll go outside of uh, baseball for this one. And uh, the Mexican national soccer team is, I'd say, favorite just because, like, culturally and just, um, you know, what it means uh, to support it. And also, I mean, it's frustrating because the team could be better, but uh, kind of the way the system is set up right now and the organization is it's kind of holding back their, their success. Um Favorite Cardinal? I've never really thought about this one. Um, I don't. I don't want to cheat and say David Eckstein just because I liked him as an Angel growing up. Um, I mean, there are a handful of Angels right that you could choose in this in this spot as well. But um, favorite Cardinal? You know, I'll I'll say Bob Gibson. I mean, what he did for the sport and the way he really transformed pitching and literally changed the rules of the game. I mean, they had a lower the mound because of him. Um, I mean, Bob, Bob Gibson's one of the greatest of all time. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll go with Gibby for that one. Um, what was the third one? Uh, favorite current Cardinal. Favorite current Cardinal. That's a good question. Um, favorite current Cardinal. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, a lot of excellent players in that clubhouse, a lot of uh, cool personalities too. Um Man, this is a tough question. I guess, I mean, maybe I'll go with the newest Cardinal. I'll go Jordan Walker. I mean, just because it's very exciting to see him uh, get this opportunity on opening day. Um, I mean, I, I mean, everybody that I've met in that clubhouse has been really great. I mean, really cool to talk to. Um, but, I mean, I'll, I'll go with him just because, you know, it's I'll ride the Jordan Walker wave of uh, into opening day as well. Yeah, so um, you mentioned your affinity with the Angels growing up in Anaheim, and we just saw the the conclusion of the World Baseball Classic last week, which is we've been covering that here on New News recently, and it was just so exciting to see um, who I think are the two best players in the game face off um, for the final at bat with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. So, would you maybe like what, what were your thoughts on the the conclusion of the World Baseball Classic and um, just the excitement in general? Like, it's been really great for the game. I mean. The ending itself, it's it's the one that I feel like people talked about in the beginning of there's a chance that Shohei Otani could pitch to Mike Trout in the bottom of the ninth inning with or bottom or top of the ninth inning with 
Japan leading and a chance to clinch it and Mike Trout standing in the way of, you know, of, of that. So, I mean, it's cool to see. I mean, it, it's funny because like even looking back at like the World's Cup, right, where everybody's talked about how that how great of a finish that was. And it was, I mean, Messi winning the World's Cup um, and, and as, as much as it hurt me, I mean, especially with, you know, seeing Mexico not even get past the group stage. Um, like that World Cup finish, I mean, right, was amazing. But people had re- remember talk to, talking about where it's like, oh, man, there's a chance that it's a Ronaldo versus Messi World Cup final, uh, which, you know, is a dream scenario. But, like, this is this was a dream scenario where it's like Team Japan, their superstar unicorn player who has really, I mean, become the best player in, in the world, not just in MLB, but just in the world, facing off against the player who everybody had said for the last decade is the best player in the world and who happened to be teammates. I mean, and and that at bat, I mean, full count, Shohei Otani threw, I mean, probably one of the best sliders of his career, um, you know, hit triple digits against Mike Trout, swung and missed three times, which, I mean, has only happened. I I saw this stat on Twitter where it's only happened, I mean, like 26 times in his career where he swung and missed on three pitches um, in an at bat. So, I mean, it's, it, it's a it's a great finish to what was a great tournament. Um, I think it's it was amazing for the sport, right? I mean, I know people did not value it as much and saw it as just meaningless exhibition games in spring in, in March. And, you know, when Edwin Diaz got hurt and Freddie Freeman got hurt, it drew a lot of criticism from people who just uh, I'd classify as people who don't like to have fun. Um, but, I mean, you saw what this meant to players. You saw what this meant to – uh, countries, I mean, they're, I mean, especially like I've seen in Mexico, like, and it's, it's like I've seen on TikToks or I've heard from family that lives there. Like, I mean, you see kids getting excited about baseball and getting excited about Randy Rosarena and, you know, all these guys who kind of broke through from Mexico. I mean, even I have a cousin who doesn't mean he'll follow, um, he'll follow a little bit of Angels baseball just because, I mean, um, yeah, that's something on my family that lives in the U.S. like that there's a lot of angels fans, right? So he'll kind of keep up to, to, to keep those conversations going. But I mean, he mainly just follows soccer. I mean, club soccer, national soccer, whatever it is. And I remember telling him at the beginning of the tournament, like, Hey dude, Mexico's playing Columbia today, world baseball classic. And he didn't know. And he didn't watch told him like, Hey, dude, they're playing the U S tomorrow. It's going to be a big game. I mean, the U S is like this powerhouse team, obviously um, when it comes to soccer, like that's the huge rivalry. I mean, U S versus Mexico, he didn't watch, but he saw the score and he's like, Oh, he's like, dude, I can't believe they won. And then he literally watched every Mexico game from that and was texting me throughout the tournament, um, probably watching more closely than I did, just because like runs like that, you know, Mexico getting to the semifinals was, you know, kind of sparked this baseball fandom in in a country that's already has a baseball fandom, but I mean it kind of heightened it. And and we're seeing that, right? We saw kids, uh, I remember there was a something on Instagram about like some kids in 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 elementary school in um I think in London, right? They're replicating the Harry uh um Harry Ford home run celebration for Great Britain. So I mean it's it's cool to see it's I think it's great for the sport. Um and that finish is just the icing on the cake to or the cherry on top to all of it. Yeah, it was uh really awesome. I I know you brought up the World Cup with Messi and Ronaldo and that was the matchup I was really pulling for mm-hmm. in that event. And I was I was sad when Portugal got eliminated, but um we we got it here in the World Baseball Classic. Um and we, yeah, you've we've seen how it how much it means to so many like of the other countries with 
like Japan, especially, we, we got the prime minister of Japan uh, doing the pepper grinder, um, which is right, right. really, really exciting for us um, here. But to segue off of that, um, this is a question I have to ask every writer that comes on the show. Um, so I apologize in advance, but um, there's been there's been some development on this um, recently. So we saw in the Japanese dugout that Lars Nupar and Shohei Otani have seemingly become best friends of the night. Like they've just been together all the time. You can see them like dancing in the dugout. So has Lars Nupar recruited Shohei Otani to the Cardinals? Um, and will Shohei Otani come for the Cardinals? Well, I don't know about the first one. And I, I, <laughs> I, I hate, I hate to speculate, right. I don't want to uh, mislead anybody in, in what I know. So I, I really don't know. I mean, uh, I wasn't in Jupiter when Lars got back, so I wasn't able to, you know, to ask that question or, you know, see, you know, find out and, you know, do some journalistic digging, I guess. Um, but as far as Shohei Otani coming to the Cardinals, man, that is the huge question, right? Because he is entering this very important year for him. Um, final year of his contract, with the current contract with the Angels could be a free agent. And I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there are going to be a lot of teams, a lot of suitors ready to, um, in, a, in a way, back up the Brink trucks, Brink's truck for Shohei Otani, like we've seen with, with some other players. Um, now, where do the Cardinals fit in that equation? I, I really don't know. Um, but I think that's something we'll learn more about this season, right? Where it's like, because, I mean, we could be in a situation where we're talking about Shohei Otani at the, or at the end of July, right? Let's say the Angels slow out of the gate, don't really pick it up. And by the all-star break or close to the trade deadline, I mean, say they're 15 games out of out of the division, you know, eight back in the wild card or from the last wild card spot, and they're in a position to sell. I mean, that that changes the whole equation of where Shohei Otani ends up because then you're looking at teams that have farm depth and that are really willing to give that up. Now, the Cardinals fit that first, uh, I guess, description right a team that has farm depth now is that something they'd be willing to give up I mean I, I think we'll see how how the season goes to figure that out um just because I mean the Cardinals were in a position to, you know last summer right with Juan Soto on the trade market um you know and the Padres sold you know sold the farm for two and a half seasons of Juan Soto and you know obviously the chance to extend him and the chance to win a World Series um Cardinals did not. I mean, and, and I mean, and, and I mean, there it was it was a huge, uh, I guess, low prospect load they would have to give up. So I mean, it it makes sense to hold on to that. And we're seeing one of those guys that was in the middle of those talks make the opening day roster, right? Um, so I mean, it will. I think we'll know more about um, not just Otani's situation as we get into the summer, but also um, you know if the Cardinals could be potential. Uh, you know, potential traders or, you know, suitors next winter for him. Right there, you mentioned uh, Jordan Walker, not quite by name, uh, mm -hmm. but this is a really exciting time for Cardinals fans, seeing as he's made the roster. And uh, I just wanted to ask you what your initial reaction was to, to that happening and how you think his season's going to go. I mean, it, it's one of those things where I feel like we came into spring talking about, you know, what could Jordan Walker do? I mean, we yeah. knew the spring was going to be one for, um, and I think John Mozeliak made it clear that this is going to be one 
that if you like prospects, it's going to be an exciting spring because there are so many guys who left for the WBC, um, so many guys who got chances in the Grapefruit League in innings and at bats that wouldn't have been there if, you know, if Adam Wainwright and Miles Michael stayed in camp and if Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado stayed in camp. Um, and same thing with, with the other guys that on the big league team that that uh, participated in the tournament. So, um, and also you come into this year, it's like Cardinals made that splash of getting Wilson Contreras. You know, that's that third bat in the order they needed. And you think, okay, well, I mean, a lot of teams have fourth bats. I mean, you, you look across the National League and see these high spenders and, you know, you look at the Padres and you look at the Phillies where you have these, you know, middle of the orders that expands beyond three hitters um, or like three, you know, impact bats. And and you come into the spring thinking, well, I mean, could Jordan Walker be that guy? Um, obviously, that's a lot to put on the shoulders of a 20-year-old, of a 20-year-old kid, basically. Um, someone who, you know, is still growing and still developing. And, um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, he stood out, I mean, just both on field and just with his intangibles, you know, just understanding and handling the highs and lows of, of the sport. Um, so, I mean, it, it's one of those things where like it, you kind of, and I think it's one of those things, right. With the messy world cup finish, the Trout Otani final at bat in the WBC, Jordan Walker making the opening day roster is kind of one of those things that you thought like it's, it's just going to happen. Like that, this is the way the MLB script writers planned it out. Like it, like it just has to make sense this way. Um, and yeah, I mean, and it did. And now he's, you know, 20 years old is going to be at Bush stadium. What this Thursday. Um, yeah. so it, it's, it's really, it, it, and it's really an exciting time because I mean, you always hear about the top prospect and, and what they can do. And not only is he a top prospect I mean, in, in the Cardinal system, he's one of the top prospects in all of baseball. So for him to get a shot this early at making an impact to the big league club at that young of an age, um, you know, even after having a switch from third base to the outfield and, and, you know, make, make this quick kind of quick rush based on where he was last year. I mean, not play a game in Memphis, go from Springfield to the fall league to Cardinals opening day roster. Like, I mean, it's, it's, um it's, it's something that you, you know, it's, it's impressive. I mean, and, and, you know, he'll get a shot early to show what he can do on the big stage. Yeah, there are definitely shades of that Albert Pujols 2001 right. training here. Um, and it's it's so, so interesting, I guess, to see this right after Albert retires, after spending his last year in St. Louis. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are really hoping St. Louis slugger to the next. Um, and so I think obviously that's a lot of expectations that are placed on Jordan Walker there. But you mentioned his intangibles, and I just want to mention that again. Unbelievable. He has the maturity of a 10-year vet already at the age of 20. And that's just something that's so Watch this to go check out some of his interviews. Uh, go watch the way he addresses the press, especially the way he talks about himself. Yeah, I mean, and that's a good point too with the way he handles interviews. I remember uh, being at winter warm up and, you know, the way it works. I mean, Cardinals will bring different guys to, to the podium throughout the three day weekend of what it is. And Jordan Walker on the final day, his day at the podium comes up and, you know, he's fielding questions left and right. I mean, obviously, a huge crowd of, uh, you know, reporters there for that present for that. And I'm, I I don't remember who it was or, you know, which, uh, whether it's, you know, publication or TV station or radio station or where he's affiliated with, but I remember somebody asked him like, 
why how he was already so good at just answering questions and under like fielding questions and just the way he's responding. I mean, it's it's something that you know, like he, like you said. I mean, he's beyond his years and maturity in a lot of different aspects. I mean, in the way he, like you said, handles questions in in in, in an interview type setting. Um, like I mean, yeah, you see it. I mean, it's like okay, this guy. I mean, he's twenty years old, but he's <laughs> he's way more mature than than your average twenty year old. And I, I I think there are other guys in, in the Cardinals clubhouse that are like that at that young of an age as well. But it's like, man, it's like it, this. It, it seems like it's kind of rare to find that that maturity with that young of a guy. Yeah, and it is pretty incredible since I mean he is only twenty years old and he is the youngest Cardinal since Rick and Keel to be called up to the major league roster in, in nineteen ninety nine. Um, but now that he has made the opening day roster. Um, should we expect him to start every day moving forward? See, now that's something that I I, I wish I had a little bit more insight on just because, I mean, and especially we know how the Cardinals have operated with their top prospects in the last few years. I mean, right, we're, we're at a point last year, what, in April and May, or yeah, really in April and May where people were, you know, questioning, you know, when is it that they're going to bring up Nolan Gorman? I mean, he had really slugged his way in Memphis. I mean, was one of the top hitters um, in the minors, especially when it came to just, hitting home runs. I mean, he had, I remember he had a stretch where he hit five homers in, a, in five consecutive games. And, you know, I think he had 14 by the time he got called up. Um, and that question was, you know, if he's going to get called up, he's going to get regular playing time. I mean, they, the Cardinals typically will make sure that that is going to be a viable option for their top prospect once he arrives at the majors. I mean, it, because I mean, and a part of that really is just because they're not getting regular playing time, then, you know, that development, you know, could stagnate if, if they're only, you know, a part-time player. Um, so with Jordan Walker, I mean, that, yeah, I, I, I think we can expect him to, to DH a lot. Um, that is my assumption. I mean, obviously, Juan Yepes was one of those guys in that conversation for the right-handed DH spot. So, I mean, and obviously he's beginning the year in Memphis and Jordan Walker's going to be in St. Louis. So, I mean, I, I, I would expect him, Jordan Walker, to – to get some regular reps at, at DH um, when it comes to playing the outfield, obviously the Cardinals, um, you know, they, they know that outfield. I mean, we'll, we'll see what it looks like on opening day. And, and, um, but I mean, I, I would, ex I, I would assume Jordan Walker is going to be getting some, you know, just regular at bats uh, at least to begin the year. I mean, and then obviously we don't know, or we'll see how that, how he responds to playing in the majors and how just kind of things start evolving. I mean, with, with the makeup of, of of that regular lineup that Ollie Marmol puts out. I mean, because obviously, you know, that opening day lineup, as as best it is, as, I mean, op that opening day lineup, right, is kind of the, the what you leave camp with, like that best nine players you can put on the field first game of the season, but that evolves, right? I mean, we saw, we saw how that evolved this last year. I mean, Brendan Donovan was not on the opening day lineup last year, was not on the opening day roster, but was – one of the most productive players down the stretch. I mean, and, and so, I mean, yeah, we'll get a good look at, at what kind of that beginning, uh, I guess, part of Jordan Walker's MLB career will look like. And I would assume, you know, he's going to be getting some, some at-bats pretty early. Yeah. Um, so Jordan Walker's made the, the opening day roster, um, but a lot of fans online and just in general, have been kind of clamoring for Mason Wynn to, to be on the opening day roster as well. And I, I disagree with, with that a little bit because I think he should still um, develop a little bit more in AAA with the bat. Um, 
And that was never the plan was never really to have Mason win in in AAA, so or, or in the majors. So, um, what do you think we can expect out of Mason win uh, this season? Do you think he'll come up some point towards the end of the season, or do you think it's more of a twenty twenty four sort of thing? Uh, well, you know, it's it's kind of funny because if you ask him, like he'll talk about it like it's going to be a twenty twenty four thing. I mean, he came into spring knowing that. Um, understanding that you know this this might not be the year for him to be on the opening day roster get to the majors and he he accepts that um and obviously you look at the cardinals shortstop situation and you have i mean a gold glove caliber player with tommy edmund there and guy who's a switch hitter and can get on base for you um when you look at just overall war and defensive war i mean he's one of those top players in the league um and also you look at i mean the backup i mean you have brendan donovan there and you have brendan donovan Playing, you know, playing gold glove defense at second. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so there, there's no immediate rush for Mason Wynn to get to the majors. And I understand it's the same thing with Jordan Walker, right? It's a shiny prospect who really, I mean, metrically and just visually kind of, you know, just wows you, right? With Mason Wynn with his throwing arm, with his speed, um, just kind of his baseball instincts on defense. I mean, you, um, it, it gets excited and that's understandable but I mean, this is another one of those guys where you have to have a little bit of patience just because the situation doesn't really call for him to get to the majors right now and being in memphis um i i mean i well, like you mentioned i mean it's something you know that i i think i think jordan walker i mean jordan, not jordan walker mason win this spring kind of accelerated a little bit of that timeline i mean he showed i mean with the bat that you know he can be a really productive hitter um, somebody who can hit, you know, lead off, I mean, get on base and, and uh, you know, with this speed, I mean, kind of get you runs and, and and you know, get that extra base on, you know, balls in the gap or whatever it is. Um, and also, you know, showed a little bit of flashes of power. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I think being in Memphis is going to be uh, great for him just because, you know, he's going to get regular at bats. Um, he's going to play shortstop regularly. And and I think that obviously that bats are the biggest one. I I, I do, like I said, I, I do think maybe we, like we, but we, I know we talk about the bat. That's, you know, really the tool that we're, we're waiting to see kind of come along for Mason. Um, and I think this spring we saw like, okay, maybe it's not that far off where now you're thinking like, okay, I mean, if Cardinals are in a pinch and they need somebody to play shortstop or something, you know, they need it. They need a middle infielder. I mean, Hey, you know, maybe he's the guy and he's going to get regular reps uh, later this year. And if you don't, if you're not in the pinch, if, you know, things work out where guys are healthy, there's not a need for that. You're sitting pretty comfortably thinking, okay, well, we're going to go into 2024 with, uh, you know, the shortstop of the future ready to contribute at the big league level. I wanted to ask about another um, battle at the periphery of the roster here. So I know we've got the official roster released now, um, and it's actually been about a week since we heard about Dakota Hudson being optioned down to AAA. Where do the Cardinals stand with him right now, especially with this Wainwright injury happening? Because um, he lost that battle to Woodford, it looks like, for the last rotation spot. And I'm excited to see Woodford. I think a lot of Cardinals fans are ready to see him in this role um, because they've kind of danced around whether he's going to be a starter or not. Um, but where do they stand with Dakota? Dakota Hudson. What's his future with the club right now? Uh, I, I, I I will say with the Woodford thing um, and him making the open day roster, obviously in kind of that spot that Wainwright would have been in, um, Ali Marmol has, you know, valued, you know, what, you know, what are you going to be able to do right now? And you, that's another one of those spring training performances where Jake Woodford looked really good. Yeah. He came in and, and was showing the organization 
all the things that they had want him, they wanted to see out of him. Um, and it's obviously well-deserved for him. But I mean, when it comes to Dakota Hudson, um, you know, that's an interesting uh, situation, right? I mean, he was a part of the opening day rotation a year ago. Um, it, and, and it's one of those things where it's like, you kind of have to put into perspective where he was at coming back from Tommy John, right? Where it's like last year is kind of like that, that readjustment year. I mean, of, of having Tommy John, he comes back. I mean, he threw a lot of innings for, for somebody in their first full season coming off that injury or off that surgery. Um, but I mean, he, he's going to go down to Memphis and I, I think, you know, if same, you know, if something happens where they're another guy down, I mean, he's kind of that next guy up. I mean, he's the guy I means already on the 40 man roster can be called up has a big league experience. And, um, I mean, it has shown that he can, you know, be, you know, a, a productive arm in that rotation. Um, but I, 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 I so, yeah, so I, I think he's, you know, just kind of the next guy in line. Um, obviously you have to wait for that. I mean, in his situation, you have to wait for that opportunity to open up and, um, you know, and get that call. And then obviously it's up to performance for you to stick around. Um, so, I mean, it, I, that that's just the, you know, the way I've kind of seen it, right. Where he's, you know, it's not like he's forgotten. I mean, but he's part of that depth that, that the Cardinals have kind of lauded of like, you know, they have, you know, their five starters and they have some depth down in Memphis that, you know, that can be productive if they call upon them and, and, you know, Dakota Hudson's a part of that equation. Yeah. And, and so where do you see Dakota Hudson in the pecking order here? Do you think he's ahead of Andre Pallante in that? I, I guess when it comes to being a starter, yeah. I mean, just because Dakota Hudson's more stretched out. Um, mm-hmm. I do still feel like Andre Pallante, you know, is is kind of one of those guys that, that will be kind of leaned on in the bullpen uh, down the stretch of the season. Um, but I guess when it comes to, like you said, I mean, in that pecking order, if, if like you're looking at, Dakota Hudson as a bullpen pitcher or as somebody who you're going to slide into the, into the, into relief spot. Um, I, I, I would probably put Andre Pallante ahead of him. Um, just because of, you know, what he did last year and, yeah. and uh, you know, that, that proven success coming out of the, out of the pen. Yeah. And um, another name we wanted to mention was uh, Matthew Liberator. Um, he had a great spring. Um, mm-hmm. We're just wondering like, will he get a chance at a starting role next year when so many contracts are up? Uh, we know Miles Michaelis was just extended recently for two years. Mm-hmm. And we have Stephen Matt signs um, through, I think, 2024, 2025. I can't remember. Um, but do we do we see him as do we see Liberator get a chance next year or when do we think he'll be up? Yeah, I think Liberator is really looking at, at 2024 as, as I think a good shot to really stick around the opening that rotation. Um, obviously you talk about, I mean, you're obviously one, one guy in that rotation is retiring with Adam Wayne, right? I mean, he'll be, um, yes, said that this year is his final year. And yeah, I mean, there are, there are a lot of, uh, at this moment, right? At the time of this recording, there are a lot of spots open on that rotation um, that will be open on that rotation in 2024 because of contract situations. Obviously that can change, right? I mean, we saw it change just in the past couple of days with Miles Michaelis. Um, but I mean, Matthew Libertor, man, I, I probably should fact check this, but I think he's only still only 23, which I know, I know like Cardinals fans will say that when it comes to Dylan Carlson, it's like, okay, I mean, we've been saying he's only this age for, for so long, you know, when, when is it going to start showing um, that, you know, potential of, of a top prospect start showing. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Matthew Libertor, I mean, he's still very young. I mean, he, I think one of the things that kind of still intrigues me is that the fact that in 2019, he pitched in, uh, I think in high A, and then made that jump to 
AAA in 2021 after the you know the skip season in 2020. So I mean there there was a huge learning curve. Obviously he was kind of put into the situation and um, I think you're, we're, we saw this spring that you know now he's kind of uh, catching up to the level of the league and that that's something the Cardinals always you know always look for when they move guys up into the next uh, part of their development is is you know obviously performance dictates you know how fast they're going to be pushed. Um, but also their performance when once they get to that next level is is really what they're looking for. I mean, it's not just being up there, it's sticking around up there and proving that success. Um, but I mean, yeah, you're looking at Matthew Libertor as one of those other guys where, you know, if you know, if something happens where you need a left-handed arm in the rotation or possibly even in the bullpen, which I mean, but even then it's like they're, you know, there are obviously other left-handed arm options. But when you're looking at that rotation and say you need a lefty. And you're looking down at that depth that they have. I mean, he, he, you know, I, I feel like he's kind of that next lefty starter up if, if they need it. Um, and obviously, when, like you said, when we go to 2024, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, as it stands now, is in a good position to, to make his way on an opening day rotation. I really love to hear um, that you're such a prospect guy. And so I wanted to ask you uh, one more question just about mm-hmm. the Cardinals farm system here. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody who you look at, especially guys kind of in the lower minors, where this is a year that they could jump onto some serious radars? Is there anybody you see that could be a really fast riser with a breakout season? For me, I'm looking at Jonathan Mejia. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think this year means for him? And then if there's one more guy that maybe people don't know about, who's somebody that we should pay attention to and watch for a breakout year? Yeah, th- this will be a very interesting year for Mejia. I mean, we saw him in the Domin- or I guess saw the stats. I mean, obviously we can't watch the Dominican summer league, but you know, he debuted there, um, got off, I mean, got off to a slow start for, I mean, it's a short, it's a short, it's a short season, right? It's only 55 games. And, you know, I, I want to say like maybe the first 15, 20, you know, it wasn't really what you're, what you expect to see out of a guy who, you know, was a top international signing in 2022. Um, and then he picked it up really. I mean, I want to say he hit like 320 something down, in like the last like 30 something games, um, you know, had a doubled a lot, which, I mean, I think you see for a lot of younger guys as that power still develops where, I mean, yeah, I mean, homers are kind of an important stat, but also, I mean, if you're seeing a guy hit a lot of doubles at that young of an age, like that eventually, once they get bigger, once they get stronger, um, those doubles turn into home runs. I mean, not all of them, but you know, some of them, uh, yeah. but yeah. So, I mean, he'll be playing looks, I mean, figures to be playing stateside. I mean, he might, start the year and I, I would expect him to start the year in extended spring training and then eventually either make his way into the Florida complex league or even Palm beach, maybe down the stretch. I mean, we saw that with um, just this last year, right. We saw that with uh, like Leonardo Bernal, you know, switch hitting catcher around the same age um, and, you know, played, you know, I think he played 45 games with Palm beach uh, and, you know, in 2021, he was in the Dominican summer league. I mean, we saw the same thing with one bin show, who started the year in extended spring training, played in the Florida Complex League. Um, same thing as a teenager. So, so I mean, yeah, it's going to be an important year to kind of see, you know, how he face, how he, with Jonathan Mejia, how he reacts and and can keep up with with pitching uh, here. I mean, obviously in the Dominican Summer League, you're you're playing against guys who, are, I mean, he's playing against guys who are around the same age, right? You know, 16, 17, 18 year old guys, um, sometimes 19, um, and the FCL you know, he's going to, he's going to get some, to see some more advanced pitching. Uh, now, when it comes to somebody who maybe we haven't talked a whole lot about that, maybe, maybe at a point 
this at a point at the end of the season where like, man, that guy really did take some strides. Um, I, I guess I'll throw out a couple of names. Um, I think Joshua Baez is still an interesting name to keep keep tabs on. I mean, we didn't see him a whole lot last year because of the hammy bone injury. Uh, when he came back to Palm Beach, I mean, he he was he was a pretty productive hitter for them. Um, so, I mean, I, I think if we'd see, you know, a full season of Joshua Baez, I mean, I, I think he's somebody who can kind of raise that that prospect value of his um, just based on performance at the plate. Uh, I think Juan Ben Cho is another really interesting name that we should keep tabs on. Uh, I mean, he's somebody who, same thing, was, you know, a pretty notable international signing in 2022. Uh, and it's a guy who, um, I mean, same thing. He's only, I think he's 19 years old and, you know, has some, you know, show, he's shown that he can hit the ball to the other, you know, to the opposite field with, you know, with some power. So that'll be kind of interesting. I mean, he's a left-handed swinging outfielder. Um, Leonardo Bernal, same thing. It's another guy who I you know, is kind of raising his prospect value just in this last year. I mean, it seems like he's he's a kind of a little bit wise beyond his years as a catcher, um, which is when it comes to instincts of the game. Um, same thing, switch hitting catcher, you know, has been able to, to hit with power. Uh, showed that this last season in, in Palm Beach. Um, yeah, so, I mean, th- those are a couple of the guys. I mean, I, I think the one maybe like way off the rate, not way off the radar, but, you know, more off the radar guy who I, I think we – once we see more of him, we'll know, you know, who he can be. And I think that's Alec Willis, who's, an, you know, 19 years old, right-handed pitcher. I mean, he was uh, drafted in 2021 out of high school. Um, we haven't seen him really pitch a whole lot just because, I mean, the way that development track for high school pitchers, I mean, we've seen that with Tink Kent's, right, where guys very get, you know, a few innings and then gradually you're increasing and Tink is kind of set for for maybe not a full season, but, I mean, a, a, a really, I mean, you know, a more complete season this year. Um, and I think Alec Willis is, is a guy who, I mean, he appeared in the complex league, pitched a handful of innings down there um, and was effective in that, um, that, you know, once we see him this year, I, I think we'll, we'll get a better sense of, you know, who he, who he is. Yeah. And one of those guys you mentioned was Tink Hens, who has one of the nastiest strikeout inducing sliders I think I've ever mm-hmm. seen. And um, I was just wondering, when do you think he'll be up in the big leagues? Will it be next year as well? Do you think he'll get a shot? Man, so I, I think he's, he's on uh, on a little bit farther of a timeline. I mean, I, and I think just that's the nature of pitching, right? Where it's like, I mean, in, you know, he was, you know, drafted in 2020 out of high school, shortened high school season, uh, did not go to the uh, alternate side in Springfield that year. 2021, I think he pitched eight and a third innings in the complex league. 2022, I mean, we saw a little bit more, but I mean, he still only pitched, what, 52 in the third, I want to say, or something like that, um, but under 53 innings, right? So it's like this year, I mean, I, I think his workload and obviously his success will kind of determine that, or not determine, but, you know, we'll get a better sense of what that ETA to Bush Stadium looks like. But I mean, he's somebody who I think, um, like you said, I mean, has really sharp stuff. I mean, same thing. Another one of those guys like Mason and, and Jordan, uh, very mature for his age and kind of understands the highs and lows of, of pitching at the pro level and what those lows really look like and what those highs look like and, and how to handle those things. Um, but I think when you look at his ETA to the majors, that one, you know, I think maybe we are looking a little bit more at like 2025 of, of him being, um, not just in the majors, but, you know, in the majors, in that spot in the rotation that you're kind of looking for. Um, I mean, same thing. He's only 20 years old. So, I mean, he's still, there's still a lot of innings for him to throw and 
a lot of things for him to prove. And I, I, I think we'll, I think where he finishes this year, we'll get a better sense of like, okay, you know, where is he going to be next year? Um, but I mean, when you look at that potential as a guy who can, you know, be a top rotation, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, Tim Kansas is, you know, same thing, an exciting prospect. And uh, I think, you, you know, fans should be maybe a little bit more patient on, on that timeline for him. I mean, as exciting as it is, I mean, it, uh, it'll be, I mean, it'll be maybe, you know, couple of seasons until you know we're going to really see him uh get to have a you know full shot at, at being in the majors yeah um sandy i think unfortunately dropped off with more connection issues hopefully we'll get him back at some point but um he wanted to ask a question he just sent to me uh, about connor thomas uh connor mm -hmm. thomas i think is a bit older than tinkens uh definitely mm -hmm. on his trajectory to the majors so what do you think expectation expectations for connor thomas are this year will he uh, make his debut um, I, I think we could see him possibly fit into a bullpen role down the line. I mean, that's kind of what he had auditioned for in spring. Um, I mean, there's still a possibility that, you know, he can make a, I mean, I, I think he's a candidate who's somebody who can make a spot start um, at the major league level if you need him to. Um, I, I mean, I'll just be in, more interested to see how he, I mean, because it's what, it'll be his third consecutive season pitching in Memphis um, obviously, he reinvented kind of his arsenal and really himself at the Arizona Fall League when he um, kind of introduced this cutter he had been working on throughout the season and, and that, in, that, you know, kind of gave him a, that push to to being included on the 40-man roster and protected from the Rule 5 draft. Obviously, this spring was, you know, was was weren't the results that he was looking for, but I, mean, I think he returns to Memphis in, in a spot where, you know, he's going to be getting regular innings as a starter and, you know, he does have that potential of of sliding into a spot start. Maybe he finds his way into a bullpen role at the majors. And, and you know, that if I, I think it just depends on how that really that how that cutter balances out the rest of his arsenal. I mean, he got hit hard a lot by righties last year that in the fall league, we saw kind of that small sample size of of what that cutter could do for him. And obviously that's against some some of the top prospects in baseball. Um, but I mean, seeing that over a full season, I mean, it will will. Uh, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I think there's a good shot that we see him in the majors. Um, and I think, you know, being in a bullpen role some is, is a more likely scenario for him to stick around in. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to shift gears a little bit uh, mm -hmm. for our final question. Um, we wanted to touch on the backup catcher dilemma that the Cardinals are facing right now. Mm -hmm. um, and Andrew Kisner, as we know, has been struggling a little bit this spring. Um, in 47 at bats, he's only been batting 128 and has mm -hmm. a 340 OPS. Um, and we know Tres Pereira is another interesting name there. Um, he's he's done pretty well in 13 at bats with an 883 OPS. And although his average has been down, he's been drawing a lot of walks. Um, mm -hmm. So, what do you think is, is the situation there? And how long do you think uh, Kisner's um, base is going to be this spring? and going into the, the season. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously we saw Kisner on the opening day roster as, as that backup, and that's something we had kind of already had a better sense. I mean, we kind of could project, right, at the beginning of the year. Um, I think just, I mean, his, the, I mean, the fact that, you know, he has been kind of the backup the last couple of seasons, has a familiarity with a lot of the starters. Um, obviously him, you know, if, if Miles Michaelis is pitching, more likely than not, Andrew Kisner is behind the dish. I mean, obviously because they have that connection, and and, you know, I, I think Andrew Kisner just kind of has a trust of of the Cardinal staff of being somebody who can be behind the plate. I mean, we'll see what what his bat does. Right. I mean, because that that could kind of dictate 
um, you know, what, what it looks like, you know, when we're, you know, in June and July, right? I mean, things can obviously change. Um, but yeah, but I think, uh, I think, Tr- I mean, Tres Barrera is another name to keep tabs on. I mean, when it comes to catching depth, um, obviously, you know, you have your all-star caliber catcher, Wilson Contreras, and you have uh, a backup in, in Andrew Kisner, and obviously you have depth down the farm. I mean, and Tres Barrera, I mean, does feel like he's kind of that third man in the depth chart. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, they're, um, I guess when it comes to like how far that leash goes, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't really have a good sense on it. And I kind of wish I did. I mean, just to, to help answer that question and give some more insight, but I mean, I, I think uh, Andrew Kisner is, um, you know, is going to come in and with, you know, those expectations, right. Though to be productive when he's called on. Um, and I mean, obviously things do change. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I would expect at this moment, trust to be kind of the third guy in line. Yeah, um, so I think we also wanted to touch a little bit on uh, Ivan Herrera and mm-hmm. like where his his spot is. Uh, do they still see him as a viable like catching option? Because um, I don't know, like we we saw him as potentially uh, Molina's heir last season, but uh, clearly he wasn't quite ready for that. So will he move into like a starting role at some point down the line, or is he a trade piece uh, potentially? Um. Man, that's a good question. Just because I feel like, like same thing, he's another guy who is going to get an opportunity at Memphis to get regular innings, and that, that uh, I mean, I guess we'll see more of what he can do. I mean, I, I think they're still looking for him to, to be more productive at the plate. Um, obviously, I mean, when it comes to catching, they're they're different. You know, takes time, right? To, to kind of, uh you know, work on calling games and receiving and pitch framing, which I guess won't pitch framing really won't matter at the AAA level this year, just because of the automatic automated ball strike zone system. Um, but I mean, yeah, when it comes to his bat, I mean, he's, I mean, and it's something that he's acknowledged, you know, that he's trying to, to be more consistent with it. I remember talking with him in spring um, and, you know, he had mentioned that, you know, he kind of was getting more in tune with like technology side of it. And he was seeing, you know, seeing how, like how, you know, the kind of, how to improve his, his swings, like with, with those kind of like that type of analysis. And he was, he felt like he had made some improvements and seen, you know, improved exit velocities. Um, and I, I think Cardinals still do have, have patience with him of, you know, being able to kind of develop that. I mean, there's no rush right now, right. There's no hole at, at the catching position. You have a guy who you're going to expect to, to be behind the plate for the next five years. Um or maybe not behind the plate entirely, but you have a guy who, you know, at least in the next couple of seasons, you're expecting that. I mean, obviously the, I think the catching demands have kind of changed at the big league level. I mean, it's, I mean, we don't really see that, you know, 130, you know, games behind the plate by, by, you know, everybody across the league. And and Wilson Contreras is a guy who you want his bat in the lineup regardless every day. And so the DH helps that. Um, so, I mean, I, I do still think there's a possibility where, you know, down the line, he kind of could be a part of that catching tandem with, with, with Contreras, depending on, on if, if he can really show that consistency at the plate that the organization is looking for. Yeah, it sounds really great. Um, again, uh, we love the work that you're putting out. We really appreciate you for coming on, on this podcast with. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, and you know, it's cool that you guys do this. Yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in with our chat with Dan Guerrero. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at TheDanGuerrero and read his work for the Post-Dispatch. He's got tons of exclusive prospect news, stuff you can't get anywhere else. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can hear us anywhere you get your podcasts. Coming up later this week, we will be previewing the upcoming Toronto series as opening day is this Thursday, March 30th. Get excited for that. We hope you enjoy the, t- the show today and please leave a like down below. Have a great day.